And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And uh, as earnings season keeps rolling along, we're getting more and more reports coming in. And, uh, well, you know, so far so good. In particular, with the regional banks, this was the big concern heading into this quarter is that following back in March, remember back in March, we had uh, Republic National Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, we had the uh, Credit Suisse, of course, uh, all getting kind of taken over. And there was lots of concerns about credit stress in the markets. And, you know, what does this mean, you know, for the banking sector? Is this another credit event coming along? And there were certainly some concerns about that. And what we are all, what everybody was kind of waiting for, right, was, you know, for this earnings season to really kick off because as we get to the very early stage of earnings season, and we touched on this a little bit yesterday, is that all these regional banks, you know, report along with the big banks. And so far, so good. PNC Financial reported uh, earnings, Zion's Bank. And the, the, the look through of this is that it seems to be at this moment, anyway, that that stress in the financial system has now kind of bypassed and we're starting to see income picking up for the banks, et cetera. Outlooks are okay. And there wasn't a lot of mentions, at least so far, and there's still, there, there's still several banks that have to report, but so far so good with the regional banks. And we've seen actually money flows coming back into the banking sector here over the last few days, we, and particularly in the regional banks, which have had some very good uh, pickup here over the last uh, two trading days in particular, we've seen money coming into those smaller regional banks, lifting those, those share prices, which are pretty depressed um, because of the concerns that were in the markets from earlier this year. Now, remember also, as we said yesterday, that you know, part of the, the support for the banks has come from the Federal Reserve, which has been providing this, this bank term funding facility for these banks where they provide loans to the banks on their collateral at face value. So remember the, 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 the issue for the banks, uh, and particularly these regional banks, and, and let's go back and you know, revisit Silicon Valley Bank for a moment. What was the problem with Silicon Valley Bank? Was it a bad bank? No, the bank was not a bad bank. Um, did they do that? Were they issuing out, you know, uh, nefarious loans or loans that were under collateralized and making bad loans uh, like we saw during the subprime crisis in 2008? No, they weren't doing that at all. What happened, though, is that banks have to have a certain amount of collateral on their books. Um, and because we use what's called fractional reserve banking and the assets on their books that they were holding as collateral declined in value. And these were treasuries and good quality bonds. They declined in value because the Fed was hiking rates so aggressively. So the collateral values declined, and that's what put these banks into problems. Now, that hasn't changed. The Fed is still hiking rates here, right? Um, that hasn't changed at all. The, the collateral values of bonds have not improved uh, since March because interest rates are still about the same level as they were back in March. So what's changed for the banks? Well, part of it is that simply people are now beginning to look kind of past that issue and really kind of looking at these individual banks. A lot of these banks are better capitalized and what, you know, not every bank was in the same situation as Silicon Valley Bank and Republic National Bank. But also too, the, the Federal Reserve is providing loans to these banks to help give them collateralization 
by loaning them money at the same value, at face value of their collateral rather than the declining value. So again, a lot of this is being kind of patched, worked over, but the outlook for banks is improving at this point. And so we're starting to see money flows coming back into those regional banks. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that everything is all clear, but one of the big concerns um, you know, for a retracement of a bear market or a continuation of the bear market has been and remains a credit-related issue and something happening in the financial sector. And, and while we saw a brief moment of that risk, it bypassed very quickly and markets have gotten back into a very bullish tenor. And that's really kind of the thing that we're paying attention to. Yesterday, I was on Fox Business with uh, Charles Payne talking about this very issue because as we start to look at the markets, it's becoming a much more bullish picture. So here's what you need to know before the bell. The markets have now retraced 78.6% of the decline from the January peak of 2022. Now, why is that 78.6% retracement important? Well, when you take a look, and this is part of the Fibonacci retracement scale, of markets. It's just kind of a mathematical calculation. But historically, what we find is that when markets make certain kind of retracements, so we have a decline from the peak to the trough. And as the markets begin to retrace, there are certain levels of resistances that potentially is where markets historically fell. So the, as we get into like the 38% retracement or 31.8% retracement, that's a typical level where markets fail. At the 50% retracement of the markets, the markets typically fail. So as they have a correction, that retracement back to that 50% level is typically about as far as it goes if the decline is going to continue. Once markets get above that 50% retracement, typically the markets move higher. And this is what we were writing about uh, previously when this happened. And we kind of set our marks at 44, 4,500 for the S&P at that point. Once you get above that 50% retracement level, now markets are back into a bullish trend. Now, importantly, once you cross over the 78.6% retracement, which is what we did a couple of days ago, there is historically really not any precedent I can find where markets don't retrace all the way back to all-time highs. Now, that does not mean that you're not going to get a correction somewhere along the way to that retracement back to all-time highs. And this is what I was talking about with Charles Payne yesterday, is that all-time highs are now becoming a much more visible picture for the markets by the end of this year, if not early part of 2024. Now, this also is a big designator. If you look back at the historical returns of markets between the time the markets peak and the time that markets set new highs, during real bear markets, the 1970s, 2001, 2008, when you take a look at real bear markets, it is generally several years before you get back to all-time highs. When you have a correction in the markets, which we have quite often, markets get back to all-time highs within the same year or within 18 months. So it's a very quick turnaround from the peak back to all-time highs. And so if the market does indeed set all-time highs here uh, over the course of the next few months, uh, heading into the first part of 2024, that will be a very good indicator that this correction that we had in 2022 was indeed just that, just a short-term correction, not actually 
a bear market because that's the way the market cycles historically work. Now, importantly, again, as I said, before we get to these all-time highs, and this is something to keep a watch on right now, and it's also a very good reason to be thinking about maybe taking some profits and reducing some risk, is that the markets have gotten very ahead of themselves short term, where we still have, yes, a MACD buy signal right now, but it's at a very elevated level. And whenever you have these signals at very elevated levels, as we have now, typically there's not a lot of upside in the markets and typically a correction does follow at some point. And this is particularly important when those very high level MACD signals occur with very overbought conditions of the markets. And right now we're pushing a more extreme relative strength index overbought condition in the market. So I would expect that within the next month to month and a half, as we get into August and September, that we will see a three to 5% correction, uh, have the market retest probably the 50 day moving average and maybe the 100 day moving average. It could be that deep and that will provide a much better entry point, but that does not negate and you'll hear a lot, and when the market starts to correct, you're going to get a lot of the real bearish crowd coming out saying, see, it was a bull trap. Here you go. It's not. We're still going to be in a bull market, but a correction back to support is going to give you a much better entry point. We talked about this yesterday as well uh, to put equity risk into your portfolio. So I would be thinking about starting to maybe reduce some exposure here, rebalance some risk, take some profits if you've been chasing this market really over the course of this year, uh, particularly in the tech sector, because we're likely to see a bit more rotation in the, in the markets here over the next couple of months. But to take a little bit of profit here, look to rebalance some risk and use that correction uh, when it occurs. And again, you have to be patient here, next 30, 45 days most likely, get this correction uh, kind of in process once we get through earnings season. And that'll give you a better risk reward entry point for this potential year end rally that will take the markets back towards all time highs. So that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Um, coming back after the break, we're going to pick up with Michael Leibowitz, get into the Fed, interest rates, markets, more. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So it's the uh, can't stop, won't stop market that seems to uh, have taken the markets really psychology wise. And as we were talking about in Tuesday's article on the website, if you take a look at the volatility index, there is no volatility. Volatility index has fallen sharply and which is exactly what you would expect um, in a market where you have a lot of bullish sentiment rising very rapidly. And there's a, there's a very good, strong historical correlation. Actually, I should say it's a very good, strong, non-correlated relationship between sentiment, investor sentiment and volatility indexes. In other words, when sentiment's rising, volatility is falling. Um, and so we created an index and on Tuesday in, in the article on the website talking about volatility so low it has to go up. And if you invert the volatility index, overlay it with uh, consumer sentiment, what you find out is there's also a very strong relationship with the financial markets. Oh, who would have thought, right? It's exactly, it's exactly what happens is that as market rise, people get a whole lot more optimistic. And again, remember this time last year, 
Um, everybody was extremely negative. And in fact, you know, all through the beginning of this year, everybody's very negative. We're going to have a recession. The world's going to end. You know, the dollar de-dollarization is going to, you know, collapse the world. It's a debt problem. And, and we've had these kind of rolling issues um, ever since last year. You know, we had the, the, the Fed hiking interest rates and we've had, you know, uh, kind of mini crises across the board, whether it was the banking crisis earlier this year or going back to last year you know, economic issues, et cetera. Um, and the markets absorbed those. Yes, we had we had declines, and then we'd have big rallies on hopes the Fed was going to cut rates, and then the Fed would say, no, we're not going to cut rates, and then the markets would decline again. But each one of those events were kind of absorbed into the markets, and we never had that big kind of watershed event that just that everybody was kind of banking on, right? This big bear market that was going to happen just never happened. And now here we are, as I was saying in, in just a minute ago, we've now crossed a very important level of the market that that historically suggests, and I'm not saying this is going to absolutely be the case, but historically suggests we're going to be at new all-time highs by the end of this year, which is going to really be hard to understand when we start talking about new all-time highs in the markets and everybody's still looking at the, the data going, yeah, but what about the recession? And it's, and it's a very interesting conundrum because there is a lot of that data, whether it's the yield curves, which are, uh, you, know, um, you know, highly inverted right now, whether it's, you know, tax receipts falling sharply. We've got an article coming out about that. Um, leading economic indicators. All of these suggest a recession is coming, yet the market's absolutely saying that that is not going to be the case. Markets historically tend to lead economic data by six to nine months. So who's right? This is going to be the debate that we're going to be having probably for the next year. Mike, uh, you know, this is the this is the big conundrum, especially when it comes to uh, portfolio management and, and managing risk, is that you've got two very, you know, very different indications coming from the markets on two different sides. Right. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of this is who's leading. Is it investors or the economy? And you can kind of go both ways on that. I know historically, the rule of thumb tends to be that the market leads the economy by six to eight months. But maybe this time it's the economy and its ability to absorb everything the Fed has thrown at it. And the way inflation, you know, in combination with the way inflation has come down, still at high levels, but nothing like what we were seeing a year ago. So, you know, with your equity hat on, you could say, look, the Fed gave it everything they had. They wanted to slow the economy. They wanted to increase unemployment. They wanted to bring inflation down. They got their inflation down, but they did it without harming the economy. And that's very bullish. Um, the question is and remains, is there a lag effect? You know, this is what we talk about. We harp on a lot. Mm -hmm. Is it because they haven't affected the economy, does that mean they won't affect the economy? And like you said, there's plenty of evidence for bulls, for bears, and for everyone in between to kind of hang their hat on. But this, you know, the market pro technically looks very strong. And fundamentally, the economy looks fine. You know, we're not seeing any uptick in, you know, any me meaningful uptick in labor and unemployment, that sort of thing. And, and inflation is steadily falling. Um, manufacturing is probably in a recession, but the service sector isn't. And the economy, according to the Atlanta Fed, will probably still grow another two, I think it's 2.3, 2.4% in the current quarter, albeit we're still very early into the quarter. So the market is kind of getting a perfect economic environment.
the Fed is kind of close to the end of its cycle. <clears throat> they may raise. They will not may. They probably will raise next week and they may raise one more time. But we're getting to the end of that cycle and QT and liquidity are not the market's concerns anymore. So, you know, it's a perfect world. It's a Goldilocks world right now. <laughs> doesn't mean things won't change, but that's the environment we're in. And you're seeing the speculation that we saw, you know, back in 21 regarding sentiment, regarding markets getting overbought. And, you know, it can stay. It can, the markets can stay like this for a while, but you just have to make sure you have both your hats on, your your equity hat and your macroeconomic hat. And you know, it's and, and, and it's really interesting too when you talk about that from the you know from the speculation standpoint. You know, in 2020 as an example, you know, coming out of the you know, the economic shutdown in March, then the market started rallying in April and May, and then in and by June we were, you know, at new all time highs. And you know, the difference was then is that, yeah, everybody was speculating in stocks. We were buying meme stocks and we were buying IPOs. And then when we couldn't get IPOs out fast enough, we invented, you know, we brought out SPACs and uh, people were buying those hand over fist. But it was because, you know, we had sent $5 trillion worth of checks to households. So people had a lot of liquidity and they had a Robinhood app that could go, you know, buy these things. Or, you know, they weren't having to make payments on student loans, houses, mortgages, rent, those type of things. So they had extra income in the house. And the Fed was doing $120 billion a month in a QE. And I, I do think it's interesting that, you know, you can explain the speculation back then because you can say, look, there's just this flood of liquidity coming into the market. So, you know, it's got to go somewhere. And the, and it went into stocks. Um, you know, it's a little bit different story today, as you just pointed out. Interest rates are higher. Uh, credit card delinquencies are rising. Uh, late payments on um, auto loans are rising. Rejections at banks for credit and auto loans. And I've got this, I, I put these charts out on Twitter this morning. So if you go to Lance Roberts, you can see these charts. Um, but rejections for credit by banks are rising sharply. You don't have, the Fed is doing quantitative tightening, not easing. And there's no more checks to households. And now these student loan payments are about to restart in theory. We'll see if the Biden administration can figure out, a, a, you know, kind of a, a end game around the Supreme Court on that. But, you know, it's a very different environment yet. You know, investors are chasing stocks with kind of reckless abandon once again. You know, and then the question is, is you know, the the issue is is sustainability in, in an environment where you have a lot less liquidity coming into the markets. Right, right. And, you know, you're getting to a point in the cycle where you can you also start asking the question, are investors just getting too bullish? Are they getting way ahead of themselves? Even if you don't think there's a recession coming, are stock prices just pricing in too much expected growth that just can't be delivered? And, you know, in some some stock names, you can certainly make that case and others you can't. And that's, again, where we got to put our stock hat on and say, OK, maybe the tech names and those are the ones that drive the market higher. Maybe they've kind of they, they've uh, they've followed the path and they, they've gone to very high valuations, uh, which we know is true. And it's going to be hard for some of those tech stocks to grow into those valuations. But there's a whole slew of other stocks that don't move the indices that are still relatively cheap you know, a lot of small cap, a lot of value stocks that are still well below the highs of uh, 
the pre-COVID, uh, not pre-COVID, the uh, 2020, late 2021 highs. So, you know, there's there there the key is to to think about sector rotations and factor rotations and just because a sector or stock a, a type of stock didn't did very well last quarter doesn't mean it's going to continue in fact quite often it's different types of stocks that do well year by year and quarter by quarter so you know certainly you should hold tech because tech is driving the market and there's nothing that says tech large cap tech won't continue but if you're watching underneath you can see that some of the small cap that some of the um, some of the other sectors are starting at starting to outperform that sector so i think sector rotation factor rotation is going to be more important this quarter than last quarter because large cap tech was the only sector rotation that you should have been in last quarter should have been 100% of your money in seven <laughs> stops. But I, I think we, we normalize, especially if this rally continues, it's going to be on the back of better breath, yeah. meaning um, more stocks participate. Yeah, and, and we've seen that breath improving, you know, fairly markedly over the last you know couple of weeks in particular. And, and that's been, you know, kind of one of the reasons we've added small cap, mid cap to the portfolios. We, we were buying small cap stocks earlier this year. Those are starting to perform very well. Um, so that that rotation is working. But when we come back from the break, um, very interesting note this morning by Albert Edwards over at uh, so Society General explaining why maybe or he has a reason why we have avoided a recession here. And it's quite interesting. And we'll talk about it when we come back with Mike Leapwitz right after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show um so just for the break um i was just talking about that my friend over at society general albert edwards had a very interesting chart out this morning. It's on Twitter, and I'm going to show you this chart right here so Mike and I can discuss this in a little bit more detail with you. But he brings up a very interesting point about why we have avoided a recession so far. Now, he's not saying that we're going to indefinitely avoid a recession in the economy, but there is a difference this time that hasn't occurred before. And that is corporate net interest payments as a percentage of the post-tax profits have declined. And that is an anomaly that has not ever occurred before because post-tax or, or sorry, corporate net interest payments should rise when interest rates go up because as they finance new debt, et cetera, those interest rates and borrowing costs go up. And therefore, um, this becomes a bigger uh, challenge and so you know this is one of those those things that we continue to discuss there's a lot of these indicators in there that because of all that liquidity that was pumped into the markets back in 2020 2021 they've created some anomalies we've had uh, you know m2 as a percentage of gdp remains very elevated and it's distorted some of this economic data that is coming in but this kind of anomaly mike is is very interesting because it suggests a couple of things one is is that 
these corporations refinanced a lot of their debt during 2020, 2021, when interest rates were at zero and are sitting on it right now and not refinancing it. And that's and, and so the theory is that that's one of the reasons is bringing these net interest payments down when they should be going up. Of course, the question becomes when and if and and how by how much will that change if they have to refinance debt at some future point? And the problem is that we just don't know what point that is. But it is a very uh, a very interesting point that be- between rising inflation, where corporations were able to keep profit margins up because of being able to price things higher. In fact, I saw uh, Brent. I saw a very interesting note out yesterday. Uh, the family size bag of double stuffed Oreos now has four fewer Oreos in it. No doubt. Yeah. Um, I went to try to buy a five pound bag of sugar. Uh huh. You can't. They're four pounds now. They're four pounds. Yes. And the, the number of sheets in a bounty roll of, of uh, paper towels yes. is like nine sheets fewer. And you think about it, it's like, why nine sheets? Well, you think about nine sheets per roll, and they're producing a million rolls a month or whatever the number is. It adds up, right? It just, yeah. you know, pennies become dollars very quickly. Um, but between those inflationary adjustments, which allowed them to keep profit margins elevated, and the fact that interest payments as a percentage of their profits fell, that has also given them an ability to boost profit margins. And to Albert Edwards' point, he's saying that that's one of the reasons that we may have avoided a recession up to this point. But Mike, I just wanted to get your takeaway. And I know I kind of hit you with that on the break. I said, hey, take a look at this chart. Mike hadn't seen it before the break. So I've been giving him a minute or two to process mentally. Uh, But Mike, what are your thoughts? So first of all, I think you are right. A lot of debt was refinanced in uh, late 20 and 21. So a lot of debt that should have been maturing this year and next year will not mature. You know, in theory, these companies pushed it out five to 10 years. So that's certainly helping. But if you look very closely at the graph, Lance, between 2004 and 2007, the Fed was raising rates steadily, right? Yep. And during that same period, this uh, interest payment as a percent of profits was declining as it is today. And it didn't really start rising in earnest until the Fed actually stopped raising rates. If you look at 2018, 2019, when the Fed started raising rates again, mm-hmm. you see the same kind of thing, that the interest as a percentage was declining throughout the Fed hiking cycle and then popped up afterwards. Um, and then COVID, we don't know how that cycle would have turned out because that's when COVID hit. Right. So the question is, there's clearly a lag effect because we know that just because the Fed lowers rates doesn't mean that the corporations have to reprice all their bonds. They only have to reprice bonds that they are either new issue or bonds that are maturing and they want to roll them over. Now, they can also they could have a bond that's a 10 year old bond that's seven or eight percent. That's still a high, high bond. And they might just say, you know, we're just going to use our cash and pay it off because a lot of companies are sitting on cash as well. Yeah. So, you know. I don't know. I'd love to I'd love to talk to Albert Edwards about this and get get his full thoughts and whether this is just a delayed effect or whether something is material, diff, material, materially different. Um, so what's interesting is yesterday I started working on, well, how do higher interest rates affect the U.S. Treasury? And there the story is very different. Interest pay, the, the Treasury borrows a lot of short-term, medium-term debt to fund themselves. 
And even though they only issue only only in quotes, <laughs> they only issue, you know, close to two trillion of debt, a new debt a year. They're really issuing six, seven, eight trillion of debt because there's so much debt that's maturing that they have to reissue. So when you start looking at their their data, it gets just outright scary. I'm estimating and I'm still working through these numbers, but it looks like over the next 12 months, the Treasury's interest expense is going to go up by about 200 billion. Currently, it's about seven to 800 billion. Yep. So it's going to go up by 25 percent. That's a massive number. And as long as interest rates are where they are, that number is going to keep rising. So, you know, this all comes down to, I think if you're looking at companies, one of the things that you should, you know, and you think the Fed is going to keep rates higher for longer, something that you should think about is how much debt does that ha company have maturing? And we, we've, as we've been looking at stocks to potentially buy or sell, we've been looking at the debt distribution. And a lot of companies we've looked at, including utilities, which tend to be very highly uh, indebted, they just don't have a lot of debt coming due. Now, more comes due next year and the year after, but 2023 was just a low year for debt issuance for whatever reason, or for debt maturities for whatever reason. Uh, but again, every company's different. We were looking at John Deere uh, yesterday or two days ago. Their debt profile is a little more negative because it's a little more skewed towards later this year and next year in 2025 versus other companies that have almost nothing. Um, we were looking at J&J &J and uh, I, another, I, I forgot, the, another Staples type company. And it was, I think it was J&J &J had like 3 billion out of 60 billion rolling over in 2024. Mm -hmm. So interest rates just have a small effect on them and won't for a while. So, I, you know, it's hard to understand the lag effect. It's hard to understand how it's going to affect certain industries, certain companies who refinance their debt, who didn't. Um, well, and I, and, think, and, and I think you hit I think you hit the nail on the head, though, is that a lot of companies, you know, when you, you know, we talk a lot about these money market fund balances and it's like, you know, there's five and a half trillion dollars worth of money market funds. And and everybody assumes that that's retail investors and, and that's just retail people. And actually, that's a very small fraction of the money and and there's and you go to the government website um, um, and take a look at the breakdown of mutual fund accounts and you'll see that the vast majority uh, by by a long shot so out of five and a half trillion dollars about four 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 point five trillion of that is institutional money and it's companies like Apple and Berkshire and these that have a hundred you know a hundred million hundred billion dollars worth of cash you know is sitting out there. Yeah, a lot of that's in short-term treasuries, but if it's in institutional money market funds, that's where it's showing up. So to your point, a lot of these companies had so have so much cash on their books that they may just be paying off debt and just not reissuing it, which is another reason why the that net interest servicing cost is is still declining. Right, and they they know, I think they know in their heart of hearts that interest rates are going to be much lower at some point. Yep, twenty four, twenty five, whatever it is. So they're saying, you know what? Let's use our cash. Instead of in, instead of investing in a four percent, that's our opportunity cost. We will pay down our debt that may even have a lower rate than four percent or possibly a higher rate than four percent. And we'll come back to the debt market in a while when rates are lower mm -hmm. and we'll we'll do what we should be doing now. 
Yeah, and, and I think it's very interesting. And, and to your point, what and, and Albert Edwards came to the same conclusion as what you just said. He said basically that it's the lack of of maturities right now, and and that you know that we don't have a lot of interest, you know, uh, because of this refinancing of of debt at lower rates. Previously, companies are just kind of sitting there, waiting, um, you know, for the next opportunity to refinance debt. And so, he, and so he attributed the same reasons that that you just did. Uh, to why this kind of anomaly is occurring. And, and so, you know, the question becomes for investors. And again, this is that, you know, this is that conundrum. Right now, you have something going on in this in this data series that suggests that's why the recession has not shown up yet. There's That's another kind of push out for that lag effect on the recession, along with, you know, massive amounts of monetary supply in the economy and, and just, you know, uh, you know, lack of debt payments and these type of things that, you know, have been helping the economy just kind of muddle along here. But now we're starting, as I said earlier, we're now starting to see some of those early kind of signs that, you know, we're going to see a slower economic environment. The question is just when, you know, rising delinquency rates, rising rejection from banks for credit. If I can't, if I'm a consumer, depending on credit to spend and I can't get more credit, that's where kind of the rubber hits the road. And we're starting to see those signs. It's still early, but those signs are coming. And and again, the, the debate is going to become, you know, when does the market recognize that? And we'll 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 be talking about that as it occurs. But right now it's all steam ahead for the bull market at the moment. Uh, We'll come back from the break, wrap up the show with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning i just want y'all to i just want to tell you all that i'm very blessed i'm very blessed and and mike will know this and and so will Brent that we're all very blessed as as parents because my kids have now reached the age where they know everything and I no longer have to worry about anything it's a very exciting time for that for the Roberts household at least because again all my kids now know more than my wife now know more than me so my parenting job is now done I have taught them apparently everything they ever need to know and beyond. And beyond. Yeah. And and now they are smarter than I am. And I think that's every parent's hope is that their children will do better than them. And, you know, unfortunately, my daughter can't figure out why the car was making a funny noise the other day when she had a flat tire. So, But she knows everything. <laughs> and so we are working through that issue. Anyway. We are, Lance, we're also very blessed that they're out of the house, too. <laughs> well, I have one left. I have I have one left right, in the house. Uh, she's 16. But, I'm, uh, I'm very blessed. Yeah, yeah, you're blessed. They're all out of the house. Uh, all right. Anyway. Can I, can we go back to that graph for one quick second? Sure. So, so there's another thing to think about that graph. It's interest. He had time expense. to think over the break. <laughs> 
Well, it, it's it, it's not just interest expense. It's interest expense as a percentage profits. Right. So so you have two things going on there. One is interest expenses. One is profits. And we know that many companies were able to to increase their margins, their profits, mm -hmm. because th they could pass on more inflation to their to their customers than they were paying themselves. Right. So how much you know, I'd want to go through the data and I want to see how much is is due to interest expense falling and how much is due to margins improving. Right. Because we know margin improvement is probably on its way out now. Right. A lot of the, the the gains that companies took advantage of inflation, like you guys were talking about mm -hmm. sugar coming in four pounds instead of three pounds and the, you know, other things that we've instead of five pounds, we, we've all noticed this stuff. But the question is that we know they're not getting away with. It's not as easy to get away with when inflation is lower. So how much of the the what you see in that chart is a function of profits and yeah. not interest. No, no, and that's a, and it's a very, very good point. And and as again, as we've talked about, you know, companies have been able and, and they've also been, you know, increasing profits. And and you just did uh, some recent work uh, talking about net income and right. you know what's going on with net income. And and yeah, so you know, when you start talking about profits kind of at the bottom line, it's it's really kind of those two factors. One is, you know, how can I boost my my cost uh, or actually my you know boost my my profits by increasing price but also how much can i reduce cost and and we continue to see companies doing a lot of things to reduce their cost whether you know um you know implementing more technology outsourcing etc uh to reduce those costs of production and again to your point passing on inflation and they've been doing a very good job of that and that's why corporate profit margins are near still near um, an all-time record high. They have started to come down, though, and I think that's to your point, is that we are starting to see that ability to continue to pass on those higher costs to consumers. And again, if, if the data on you know credit card rejections and auto loan rejections and delinquencies rising, if that data continues, it's going to be more and more difficult to pass on those, those costs. Right. And, and we also have to remember at the end of the day, we're a consumer driven economy. Mm -hmm. Consumers, consumerism accounts for what, 70 percent of the economy. Right. So corporations can be doing fine. But if if consumers can't borrow anymore and they've gone through their savings and there are some layoffs, corporate profits are going to fall. Maybe their margins stay OK. Maybe their interest expenses don't go up too much. But at the end of the day, they are going to sell less. So interest rates affect each, you know, the government, the corporate and the individual sector differently mm -hmm. and with different time lags. It, it affects the federal government almost immediately. It looks like it's hitting the corporate sector very, very delayed and that it could still be delayed for, you know, a long, much longer period. And it hits consumers on, you know, kind of somewhere in between. Um, so, you know, that's why, again, these lag effects are so hard. To figure out because it affects everyone you know even individuals very differently from each other yeah. corporations very differently so well and i, I know, think again, and i think you're bringing up a really good point here and 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 so maybe you know the thing that we need to think about as investors is maybe we've been looking at last year's you know action um incorrectly and what i mean by that is 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 that again now if we look back and, and look if the market gets to an all-time high this year last year was a correction and that is actually very much normal 
for just a market environment. Yeah, it was a 25% drawdown, but you have to remember how deviated we had gotten from long-term moving trends and moving averages because of all that liquidity. We had that, that, that enormous amount of liquidity shoved into the markets at a time where everything was shut down. And so we had a, a rampant bout of speculation that drove markets up to a very big extreme. And so that correction last year was really just kind of working off some of that extreme. Now, if we look back at, at history, markets tend to rise as the Fed is hiking interest rates. And that's what markets have been doing now, really, since October. The Fed's still hiking interest rates, and the market's been rising. And so even if the market's at a new high, historically what it says is that when the Fed begins to recognize that there's a problem, and this is the thing the, the markets keep hoping for, Mike, is that the Fed's going to start cutting rates. So, right. when the market, so when the Fed pauses and they say, hey, we're not going to hike rates anymore, that's where the potential lag effect begins to kick in. So maybe it's not 2024. Maybe it's 2025. Maybe it takes a little bit longer than we expect. But when that recession sets in, then the Fed starts cutting rates and asset prices are declining. And that would align more with historical norms and kind of what we'd expect from both consumer sentiment, uh, investor sentiment, market prices, et cetera. And so when we look back, you know, in five years, when we look back at this period, we say, yeah, there was a correction and then there was the ultimate bear market because of the recession. It just may be pushed out another year or so. Right. And again, you know, we can't forget how much of an anomaly 2020 and 2021 were. The, the stimulus was just yeah. off the charts, fiscal, monetary and global. Right. It just kind of it just kind of skewed all the data. And, and, and the question is, and again, we won't know this until hindsight, um, you know, but again, it's just it, it is interesting how things are playing out now and how markets are reacting. And, you know, we've got earnings coming in. And I thought it was interesting, you know, Netflix reported earnings last night actually kind of blew away the numbers. Stocks trading down about six percent this morning. It was down about eight or nine percent last night. But, um, you know, companies still seem to be doing OK right now. We don't see a lot of companies really giving a lot of negative guidance. They're not really you know, extremely bearish. Earnings estimates are starting to come up a bit for guidance so far. I mean, we're super early into the earnings cycle. I mean, this is only the first week. But, you know, so far I haven't, you know, seen any companies really talking about, you know, kind of a poor outlook over the next, you know, couple of months. And and right. maybe we just haven't got there yet. Well, and I think the, the best news from this week are the banks and the regional banks in particular. Yeah. That, you know, on average, they've lost a little bit in deposits, but nothing that's going to cause problems. And, you know, they're certainly bracing for what will be a slower economy and for potential losses in office real estate and, you know, credit card and other areas. But at the end of the day, the earnings are fine. They're still making a lot of money. They're putting away a decent amount for potential losses in the future. And a lot of the regionals have, are still fairly dinged up from what happened mm -hmm. in March. Yeah. So I, I think the best news that we're getting so far, and again, it, it's predominantly banks that we've seen. We, we got a little, we got Tesla last night and Netflix, but it's been predominantly banks. And that's from an economic point of view, that's a good sign that they're able to function. Now, now there's still their profit margins on new loans is not good. So don't expect them to be to be issuing a lot of new debt to, to clients, but they're in very good shape. And they right now, what we saw in March seems to be easing quite a bit regarding the uh, deposit yeah. withdrawals. 
Um, today we've got uh, Abbott Labs, American Airlines, Blackstone, Capital One, Dr. Horton. Uh, Blackstone actually missed earnings uh, a little bit. That stock is down. Thought that was interesting because again, it's the you know they have a lot of commercial real estate, so not surprising they missed earnings. But D, uh, but uh, Dr. Horton. Um, creamed earnings and revenues is and they're they're just they're just a straight out home builder that stock's up about four four and a half percent to this morning uh you know both in real estate very different outcomes and because you know this really kind of goes back to what area of real estate you're in if you've got a lot of commercial real estate or you know multifamily exposure you potentially have problems if you're just a home builder because of the shortage of supply you're in really good shape so you know you really got to kind of pick your spot in real estate mike Right. And what's interesting, housing starts and housing permits came out yesterday or two mm -hmm. days ago yep. and they were much lower. So, it, you know, kind of did we see the boom already in new houses, new house construction over the last call it six months just because there were no houses for sale? And is that going to start easing? And, and are we starting are some of these home builders that are on fire or that are at all time highs going to start? kind of again rotating are we going to see other sectors start to take their place yeah um uh, outside of that freeport mcmoran this morning johnson and johnson key bank and again we we're, this whole week we're still going to have a, a lot more of these regional banks coming in so there's still risk that you know we may see some smaller banks in trouble we just haven't seen it yet you know zions is a pretty big bank so it's pretty good but some of these smaller regionals are going to report maybe that's where we see some potential stress but we'll keep an eye on that uh, keep you up to date uh, mike thanks so much for joining us today um markets right now kind of mixed this morning nasdaq down dow up so it looks like a bit of a rotation day into defensives and staples we'll see how today works out uh, be back tomorrow morning with danny ratliff and richard rosso uh, for financial fitness friday and don't forget so make sure that you register for this weekend's candid coffee it's our mid-year kind of economic market review. I'll be joining uh, Danny and Richard for that on Saturday morning. So make sure you're registered. Send your questions for that. If you have any questions you want answered, we'll try to get to those. Um, but again, that's Saturday morning at 8 o'clock is our candid coffee. So make sure you're registered at the website. Big banner at the top of the page. Uh, you can get registered right now. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.